Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 15 Minutes with Dr. Norfleet. Today, we have a very special guest, someone that I look up to and have already learned a lot from, um, Dr. McGee. Everybody give her a warm welcome. Hi, everyone. So happy to be here. And thank you for the kind words. It's really sweet. No worries. No worries. Um, definitely been someone that's served as a mentor for me. Um, so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what you're passionate about and your connection to the mental health field? Um, well, I got my PhD in psychology from Howard University in 2018. Before that, I was at Pepperdine University in Los Angeles for my master's in psychology. Before that, I was at LMU, Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles for my bachelor's in psychology. And I really just kind of wanted to explore mental health, working with marginalized, diverse populations. So that's what I'm currently doing. I'm a psychologist in a correctional setting, so I don't think it gets much more marginalized than dealing with people who are, are incarcerated. Okay. So Howard, I got, my dad went to Howard and he, uh, he? played basketball there. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's so cool to hear. And another connection, I don't know if I realized that you went to Pepperdine for your master's program. Yeah, I can't believe Dr. Ye didn't tell you. I don't know. She probably did. But in my head, I just I was so focused on Howard. Right. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. going to a PhD program at HBCU. So that's cool. Like that you went to Pepperdine because uh, yeah. that's that's where I went. So right. that's awesome. I feel like we had a lot of the same professors in between like the master's program and the doctorate program. But it was definitely like a deliberate choice on my end to go to Howard, because obviously like Pepperdine is kind of like a funnel program or can be between the master's and the doctorate program. But it was very much so like, if I'm going to get my doctorate, I'm going to get all this student loan debt. Like I want this to be so much more culturally rooted in every single subject than I found that I got at a lot of like PWIs that I went to. Right. Yeah. And I heard you mention that you were passionate about working with like marginalized individuals. Like what do you think um, led you to be passionate about that? Or did you have any like salient experiences that you think of when you, you consider like how I got involved in this work? That's a good question. I feel like it's a combination of just my background. So I'm, I'm first generation on my mom's side. So my mom is from West Africa and immigrated here. And my dad is from West Oakland. <laughs> So I feel like they're quite, they're quite an interesting combination, um, but just kind of growing up and dealing with like so many different marginalized statuses in my household. Like we have immigration status, nationality, racial status, gender, like there were so many different, I felt like intersections and I just kind of wanted to understand everybody's like mentality, where they were coming from and a lot of like generational stuff too. So I feel like that just kind of like pushed me in the direction of trying to understand the intersections between culture because it really are cultures and identities because it really isn't just so clear cut. And I feel like in mental health, a lot of times it's just, it can be like a little bit like prescriptive when you're talking about culture and like cross-cultural counseling, cross-cultural interventions and just like looking at the whole person and everybody's different multiple identities and how that impacts mental health, their well-being, like that, that has just 
always been of interest to me. I don't, I don't know. It's always been of interest to me. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm thinking about like the intersectionality, um, right. each individual and like for you, the West Africa, the West Oakland, like that's a, yeah. that's a really cool pairing, if you will. And I think, um, I imagine you learned a lot just about your own culture and that helped you work with people from different cultures as well. Right. Right. And I do think, so one of the things that I kind of focus on and I have focused on like yearly with psychology and in a correctional setting, like obviously, you know, I've worked with interns before and psychology interns, but in the intersections of identity are, is really something that I'm passionate about kind of exploring and getting into the nitty gritty with and kind of carrying on for future generations of psychologists to come because I think it's just, it's so rich and it depends so much on like the environment you're walking into. Like I often use the example with interns, like inmates react to interns leading group differently than they react to like the psychologist, the coordinator, the chief psychologist. It's just like a, a smaller aspect of identity that people don't necessarily like immediately go to. They immediately go to like race, gender, ethnicity, but even like your clinical status in the room and how that impacts the room that you're walking into and how that impacts how they receive you. I don't know about you, but when I was on internship, I was leading like groups in our drug treatment program. And at one point they were like, we don't want an intern leading the group. Like we want a real psychologist. So I think that all of the different identities that we kind of can like write off a little bit, like it's important to just consider how they're impacting, like who you're working with and what your stimulus value is in the room. Yeah. I, I reflect on that. And I think of working at uh, FCI FDC Tallahassee, you know, we have a female low. So on internship, I did the Resolve program, which is our trauma treatment and leading CPT with women that are looking at me and they're like, I'm not working with you. So, right. you know, it's a very strict like 12 session format. And the first session I had to do a rapport building like activity because they were like, why should we work with you? You're a guy. Men are the reason that I'm traumatized and I don't want to talk to you because I don't know you. Right. I, counterparts that were interns that were women they didn't have that issue like they had the normal building rapport well who are you why do you want to work in prison so i think it was a corrective experience to see like okay how do you communicate with men like and they were white women so like how do you communicate with a black man like what assumptions have you made about working with this person um and i you know a lot of it was just it kind of reminded me of like proving yourself like they're like well, have you ever worked with women before and i'm like my first practicum was an intimate partner violence site where I worked with women fresh out of abusive relationships. So to me, I'm like, you know, yes, I've worked with women and yes, I've worked with trauma. Um, but it's also about your comfort level, right? Like I can tell you my resume, I can tell you my experience and intentions, but you have to feel it in the room. And if you don't, you're not going to feel comfortable with me. Right. Right. But I also I, I just feel like that's just so inherent to like the change process of therapy and of clinical work is just having those corrective experiences. And even if like you were an extraordinarily corrective experience for like one of those women in there, it still might take like like a few other corrective experiences with men, with black men. But for some women, it might that might have like done the trick and it just might have helped them grow by leaps and bounds and 
I feel like it's it's hard to look for the opportunities to to make those like change points to make those corrective experiences but it's something that I tend to always look for and a lot of the inmates I work with even like begrudgingly most times with for them it's like I want to talk about more than just these four walls right because if you have a release date this place is temporary for you Right. And we both know if I'm talking to like a diverse individual, somebody who has different marginalized statuses aside from inmate, we both know that the system is kind of set up for you to specifically to come back. So we can both acknowledge that. And how do we kind of move beyond that so we can have a corrective experience with you, with a psychologist, with you talking about something more than just your irritation that they provided you with the wrong like food tray? Like, OK, we can talk about that for two minutes like now now we're moving on exactly no i think yeah. that's a great point and i i also think you know you're speaking of like corrective experiences and seeing like what it might take it's interesting in the bureau because we don't have that many institutions for women and me having worked at two of the main ones and then a female camp i have an inmate now that was at tallahassee when i was there then oh, that's crazy was there and now is doing art app at phoenix and that helps because she's able to tell some of the other inmates, no, like this is the type of guy he is. And right. to be able to reflect on like her experience with me as a group leader, as an intern, and then to take a group with me as a probationary, like psychologist. And then now as a psychologist that's been at a few institutions. So I think it's really interesting to me just to think of other aspects of culture besides just ethnicity, right? Because that's like the main one that everyone is like, Oh, this is it. but I think for me, it's like, okay, gender is a huge one, right? Like age, age is another one, like being super young when yep. you start an internship, like for some psychologists or some interns is a huge thing. Cause people are like, how are you going to help me with parenting or with this? You don't have kids. You're 25. Like, how are you going to do that? Right. Right. And even if like, there's an assumption about that, it still can be something else. Like it can still be like, well, you don't know what it's like to be a grandparent. You know, it's always like the 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 goalpost is always moving. So I think that's why it's just so much more important to be like really rooted in yourself and your identity. And um, with the interns, I talk about a lot about like models of identity development. And I kind of challenge them to use these models that are created by like Dr. Helms, like Dr. Cross, like all of these mo like models for mostly like ethnic identity development, but also I think there's one for gender identity development, but to think about like where they are in their stage of identity development and how that might translate to working with an inmate who's in a different stage of identity development. Like, cause sometimes I think that that can be like the big miss, even if it's like same culture counseling, like. Yeah, you know I, mean? I, I really agree with that. And I think one of the main things that comes up for me is like when you look at the DSM, like cultural formulation, right? Like as basic as it is, and it needs a lot of work. Like one of the main things that they encourage is like thinking about the differences and similarities that you have with your client or for us with our inmate. And I think for me working at homeless shelters and state hospitals and um, prisons, I'm like, okay, yeah, I might look like you and I might be like a black man, but we have very different like worldviews with very different experiences. And that's something I tell my guys now, like, I'm like, I'll be completely honest with you. I grew up with two parents in 
not in poverty, right? Like I, I was never rich, but I grew up in like a middle-class family where I had all of my needs met. I didn't suffer from any abuse. I didn't have any significant trauma as a child. So when you tell me, oh, well, you look like me, you get it. I'm like, I get some things, but there's a lot that I have to learn because I haven't gone through what you've gone through. Right, right. And I feel like, you know, sometimes that can just be like a protective layer for them. Like you don't get it because you didn't go, you didn't grow up in Compton. Like even if I grew up in like West Oakland, it, it still wasn't Compton. Like even if it was Oakland, it wasn't Richmond. It wasn't like, you know, it's always just, it can be a very like defended thing that they kind of propose. But what I usually say to that is even if I didn't experience like what you experienced specifically, A, no one has, not even your sibling has, like not even your identical twin has, like nobody has experienced exactly what you've experienced, but I can relate to the feeling of feeling lack, of feeling vulnerable, of feeling disenfranchised, of feeling like poor, of feeling all of these different things. And that like sentiment is what we can both equally come to the table and connect on. So no, that's, know, that's a way to get around it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think that's really helpful, especially for our listeners that are, you know, newer in the psych field. Um, all right. So we got time for one more question. And I know what you're currently doing. You're working with like substance abuse. So thinking of substance abuse specifically, how do you weave in like your own cultural conceptualizations and like you know, like identity work that you spoke of, like with the inmates in a drug treatment program that doesn't really focus on culture, like broadly speaking. It's, it's been difficult, more difficult for that because I'm in, I'm not doing like um, a modified therapeutic community, like RDAP. I'm not in that type of setting, but where I've weirdly, oddly, now that I'm just thinking of it, first noticed it is just kind of with the MAP program specifically and just certain inmates coming in with certain identities who have maybe received like support for opiate addiction in the community. Depending on what community they came from, a lot of times those treatments look differently. Like a lot of my black inmates come in and they're like, I was on methadone. And then my white and a lot of the white inmates come in and they're like, I was on Suboxone strips. So I've just kind of, I don't really know what's there yet. That would be kind of be interesting research, but um, that's one of the things I've noticed and just kind of us advocating for, to take people's symptoms seriously. Cause Matt is a very psychology and medical combined program. So when I have guys coming to me expressing that they're ex experiencing withdrawal symptoms or their dosage isn't high enough. We know that sometimes if you are have a marginalized identity, a medical doctor might not believe you. So it just, I think it's kind of tasked me to be more of an advocate in that way between psychology and medicine. That's awesome. Yeah. And for those of you listening, um, the MAP program is medication assisted treatment. So it's specifically for opiate use disorders. And do you guys do anything with like people that have uh, issues with alcohol as well or no, not? It really? can be on it. I mean, I don't have anybody right now who doesn't have, who isn't specifically opiate use disorder, but they can be on it too. Okay. Yeah. That's a really interesting program um, that, you know, we have at different institutions and seeing the <laughs> the safety concerns and people trying to cheat the strips to sell it and 
yes. you know, all of that has just been really fascinating to watch. So, you know, kudos to you for taking on, um, you know, a very new program that doesn't even have the policies finished <laughs> yet. You know, like that's so interesting to me. Thank you. Thank you. Try my best every day. <laughs> oh, that I know. All right. Well, thank you so much for just sharing a little bit about your life, your culture, the work that you do. Um, you know, it's it's been apparent since the day that I met you that you're really the bomb when it comes to the work that you do. And I see why Dr. Ye enjoyed working with you. Um, but our, our listeners and myself really appreciate you just talking about identity and, and ways to um, kind of get a new perspective when you're working with inmates or patients or anyone in the community. I think what you shared is generalizable to a lot of different populations. So I appreciate you. Thank you. I hope so. And this is definitely my bread and butter. So if you'd like to talk about this more, anybody out there would like to talk about this more and what they can do, I am 100% open to that because I just love kind of moving the pendulum with this conversation. Oh yeah. We're going to have you back on the show. You don't have a place at this point. You showed out. You didn't show out on this episode, so you come back. Out. I did not show out. No, you didn't show us how well you you think about this stuff, and I think it it's really valuable. So I will definitely be uh, politely requesting that you come back on the show. Anytime, I got you. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, this was another episode of Fifteen Minutes with Dr. Norfleet. Thank you all, and remember to comment, like, and share our posts.